Hi everyone, my name is Thiago, I'm a graduate student at Princeton University and I'm your host. The Brains, Black Holes and Beyond is a collaboration podcast between the Princeton Insights newsletter and the Daily Princetonian. The Princeton Insights is a newsletter written by Princeton undergrad, grad students and postdocs. We write about the most exciting and groundbreaking research being conducted here at Princeton in the form of short, fun and easy to read reviews. We cover a range of topics including psychology, neuroscience, biology, computer science and physics to name a few. Make sure to check out our website at insights.princeton.edu. Today we're going to talk about some of the consequences of urbanization and how socioeconomic status affects people. For that, we're inviting Benjamin Mohoya. Benjamin graduated from the Technical University of Kenya in Medical Laboratory Sciences. He worked as a medical laboratory technician, including in the Mpala Research Center. Recently, he moved to Princeton, where he is now a graduate student in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology with Professor Julian Ayrolls. So, welcome, Benjamin. It's really good to host you here. Thank you so much, and yeah, thank you for the invite. Yeah. So, I would I would like to start asking more about you. So, where are you from? I gather it's from Kenya because <laughs> your yeah. undergrad was in the Technical University of Kenya. But tell us a bit more about where you're from and how you didn't how you end up here. Okay, so I am from Kenya, like I've grown up in Kenya all my life. So coming to Princeton was such a big transition for me because I've just grown up in East Africa. Wow. And as a young guy, I I loved lab work, like when you go to school and they teach you science and then you see your teacher doing some experiments. That's kind of like how I got interested in like a course in lab work and... I ended up doing medical lab science in the Technical University of Kenya. But I didn't know, like, at some point I would be in the middle of nowhere researching the effects of urbanization mm-hmm. on people. That was kind of like something that just happened. But I, I would say it's kind of like the most exciting thing that happened, that has happened to me. How did it, how did it happen? What, so, what do you mean by it just happened? So I, I, in my head, like when I was doing like a course in lab, in lab science. I thought I would just be in the lab doing experiments and everything. And then, so I used to work in a hospital lab before I applied for this job in a research center to work with Julian Errol. So he had he has this cool project that is still ongoing in Kenya. So it's just, I mean, when I applied, I was maybe just thinking I'm just gonna go be another lab tech, but like, it's such a huge project because we have to go to remote places to collect samples. So that had never occurred to me that at some point I would be doing that. And I fell in love with like that kind of research because it's, it's practical research. I mean, it helps not only, I mean, generally, but like even in developing countries like Kenya, where we have like this burden of non-communicable diseases. What are non-communicable, non-communicable diseases? Non-communicable diseases. Okay, maybe I should explain that first. So, <laughs> uh, historically, we've dealt with infectious diseases. Like, let me use a very good example that everybody knows: COVID. When if I have COVID right now, uh, if we don't have mask, I'm gonna give it to you easily if I just sneeze or something. Yeah. So, non-communicable diseases is a whole is a term that uh, tries to cover like all these other diseases if i'm sitting next to you i'm not gonna give it to you like cancer obesity okay. hypertension the kidney disease is those it, are non-communicable diseases is it the same as not contagious non-contagious that's another okay. term that we can use 
Okay. Yeah. And right now they are the leading causes of mortality around the world. And we, we, I mean, literature or like research that has been done so far blames urbanization and like socioeconomic gradients. But we haven't still pointed out the specific thing that happens to lead to an uncommunicable diseases to an uncommunicable diseases. So that is what our research is about. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. So a little bit more about you. So you're now working here at Princeton in the evolutionary biology department. Yeah. How is it conceptually? Like, how, what do you feel about this transition? Because you used to work more in a medical setting, and now you're studying evolution. How does that work? Okay, so working in the medical setting was, I liked it, and I felt that I was contributing to society in a good way because I'm helping diagnose people in a hospital. But the medical system in Kenya, okay, it's good, but me showing up in hospital every day and like being in an environment where I only see sick people was not very, I mean, I did not like it that much. So that's why I decided to maybe move into the research field to maybe contribute even more to maybe society or like my country or Kenya to help maybe make the health system better. And yeah, that was my thinking back then. So that's how I decided to go work in a research center to find out like what's the cause of disease so that we can maybe deal with it at its root. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love the work so much. And then like my my advisor right now, the guy I'm working with, Julian Errols in his lab right now, he's 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 a cool boss. So we mm-hmm. got along really well. And he's he's a professor in ecology, evolutionary biology. We talked a lot. We used to go to field with him. So nice. we got to hang out. We got to talk a lot. I became super interested in like advancing my education further. So he was supportive and encouraged me to apply for a PhD in Princeton. Oh, that's really cool. And which I did. And now I'm here. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, very yeah. exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So, and evolutionary biology, there's this saying that is famous where people say that nothing in biology makes sense unless in the light of evolution. Mm-hmm. And that has resonated with me for a very long time because. If you think about diseases, even COVID, you already know like it evolved and jumped from an animal to to human. So evolution is something that that we should think about a lot when even thinking about diseases. And very few people have thought about non-communicable diseases from an evolutionary perspective. And that's kind of like how I am thinking about them right now. And that is why I love being in the evolutionary biology department, because we can be able to clear the confusion that exists right now, all the fragmented information that we have about the causes of non-communicable diseases. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you met him in Kenya. That's what that was the first time you saw him. That was the first time we met. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. he went to do the project, like the the one about socioeconomic status and how it affects health in 
um, Turkana? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a very broad project. Uh, and that is one of the papers that we have written so far, the one about socioeconomic effects on health. So the Trukana are a pastoralist community, and they are, subs- they are, I mean, most of them have still retained their ancestral way of life, which is pastoralism, and they are a very subsistence level kind of community. So they only rely on their herds for subsistence, not for market, not to sell them for meat or anything. Me and you are like market integrated. We thrive in a market economy. Mm-hmm. So with the Trukana, we have kind of like half-half. You have still people following the ancestral way of life and people who have moved to urban locations. So we have this opportunity to compare people still living, leading a traditional way of life and a subsistence level kind of lifestyle and urban people. And that's why we are working with the Turkana community. Turkana is a village in Kenya, is that it? It is a whole county. It is a like county. a whole region. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. One of the hottest places in Kenya. Oh, <laughs> yeah. how hot are we talking about? Oh, damn, like, okay, in, in degrees, like it gets to the 40s, 42 degrees 40 Celsius. 40 Celsius? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's... That's probably over 110 Fahrenheit. Exactly. That's yeah. pretty hot. <laughs> it's hot. And yeah, so people people are different. So with the Trukana, like how you'd measure maybe a rich person, like that's what the paper was based on, like socioeconomic gradients of health. So maybe if I'm in a market integrated place, you'd like look at my bank account and see how many um, how many because i have how much money but like it's harder to measure that like say in a subsistence level community so we don't understand how maybe and like in an urban setting we we kind of like associate higher income with more diseases but we don't know if higher wealth in maybe a subsistence level community is associated also with like poor health outcomes and yeah that's where we did that research and we showed that actually it's not the case like higher wealth in like the subsistence level community the Turkana equates to better health better reported health whereas like in an urban setting more wealth equates to more risk for these kinds of non-communicable diseases so you're saying that the populations in a higher socioeconomic status in Turkana there are different effects if they were in rural area, the pastoralists and the urban, the, the people that live more, more in the city. That is what I'm saying. And the higher socioeconomic status in the city had were more prone to health diseases. Is exactly. that it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that is very yeah. interesting. That's And that's not what we observe here in the U.S., is it? In the U.S., it's different because if you think about wealth, Probably somebody who lives in like a higher economic status has more access maybe to hospitals. People in like a lower socioeconomic status don't have as much access. So the outcome will be different maybe in like a US setting. But it's, yeah, it's hard to disentangle like those effects. So what the paper showed is that we, I mean, what the research showed is that Indeed, socioeconomic status matters, but it's different. It's super context dependent. 
because say in a developing country like Kenya, social a person in an urban place might be able to afford healthcare but doesn't have as much access as maybe somebody in America. And it's the same case, maybe somebody with like a lower socioeconomic status doesn't have access. So in an urban setting, in like a developing country in Kenya will not matter as much as it will not have a significant effect as it would here in America. How is the healthcare system like in Kenya? In Kenya, so it cannot be able to accommodate everybody. The government has been trying to improve it. Like having worked in the healthcare system, I've seen the improvements they've done over the years. But still, the ratio of like the number of doctors or like the number of equipment available to the number of sick people is not good enough to accommodate everybody. That's kind of like why I did, I did not like working in the hospital mm-hmm. system for so much. Because in a day you get like maybe 300 patients oh, if it's wow. like in a government hospital. It is free, but the lines are so long and everything is so crowded that it's not that great. Exactly. You yeah. see. It's a similar situation in Brazil, actually. We also have a free healthcare system, but depending on what you want to do, you have to be in line for months. Yeah. Yeah. Like Exactly. And the biggest burden is being caused by these non-communicable diseases. It's not even like mm-hmm. typhoid or cholera or like malaria. It's people more or less coming in because of diabetes, hypertension, mostly the non-communicable diseases. Okay, let's backtrack a little bit. So back to Turkana, just to understand more a little bit about this place. Is that a place that you've visited before? Like when you lived in Kenya? No, actually, no. no, I just went there for work. I see. It's a very remote place. It's hard to access even normally as a person who lives in Kenya. And then, like, there's nothing to go seeing there. It's underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. It's people hiding, so people don't usually go to Turkana region. And how did you decide Turkana, you and your team? Okay, so it's it's such an interesting story, oh, like, nice. how it happened. So, okay, I... Maybe my advisor is going to listen to this, but like it's the story <laughs> I've had him say. So he's a fly geneticist. He's, he works with genetics. So he had flies from all over the world in his lab oh. <laughs> trying to understand, uh, I mean, just fly genetics. So he was collecting flies around the world to compare maybe how they will respond to different environments. So some he would expose to high sug- a high sugar diet, and see how maybe you can get to see the SNPs that will be affected by maybe a different environment. But something happened with the chamber where he had all his flies, they all died. So he went to Kenya, like, you know, you kind of like want to take some time off to sober bit, I don't know. (laughs) So he goes to visit a friend of his who works in Turkana. So they are on top of a cliff, just talking. He has a big water bottle. And then he sees a young boy just herding cattle without any water bottle. And then he's like, how, how is this even possible? Even I, as a Kenyan, cannot survive in Trukana region. I need like a very huge water bottle every minute um, <laughs> I'm there. So he's like, this, this is impossible. And he was like, okay. I need to understand what's happening here. So it started with like adaptation to that environment because 
you know, he was working with flies mm-hmm. in different environments. And then the project has transitioned so much to include now even the health aspect of like, because we have people from Turkana moving from the rural area to the urban area. So it transitioned to like the health effects of lifestyle transition. But mm-hmm. at first, so he just saw somebody thriving in like this harsh environment. And it was like, there must be some adaptation maybe that mm-hmm. people in this region have. And that's how the project began. <laughs> that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. So it was basically trying to understand evolution, in, like how people adapt to very hot environments and dry, something like that. And it ended up more of a understanding non-communicable the diseases and health in general. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah. And you mentioned that people are moving from rural to urban areas. So about this pastoralists, you said that they don't have, like, they're not integrated in the market as we are. Does that mean that they do not have money at all or they do have money, but most of his, most of their transactions are like just exchanging objects and animals and not relying on the money? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So that's the thing. It's their culture. So if you grow up in that culture, money doesn't make sense to them. You do find some people like who might sell maybe one or two cows to send one of the sons to school or like maybe to purchase something like when it's when it's during like maybe a dry season and there's Mm -hmm. not enough food so it does happen occasionally them going to the market to sell their herds but like for them it's more prestigious to have hundreds of cattle than it is to have money Mm-hmm. So it's a very different setting. For me, it's for me, maybe me and you, it's more prestigious maybe to have a couple of thousand dollars in the bank. <laughs> for them, like that equates to having a thousand cattle and being like all of these are my cattle. But when they are like raising this a thousand cattle, is it for everything is for eating? Like just to feed the community and they will give the meat away in exchange of like other sort of services that the community is providing is that how it works that is exactly how it works (laughs) so it's just for subsistence i see yeah that's very interesting and this trend that they are moving to urban settings has it been like like this for a very long time or is it something newer it is actually that's one of the other interesting reasons that we are working with this community because they just started moving recently Mm -hmm. so historically there was a military blockade in the Turkana region because it's a different temperament of people like they have had people raid each other for the cattle Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a lawless kind of location where everybody has a gun to protect their mm-hmm. cattle. So there was a military blockade that was only abolished in the 1980s. So people have only started to move into towns super recently. So we have this perfect opportunity to look at or research or study the effects of lifestyle transition in real time because it's happening mm-hmm. in real time. You find somebody was born in the rural place, maybe grew up there up to like when they were a teenager, then moved to an urban setting. Is, is the percentage of people with diseases higher in the urban setting? It actually mm-hmm. is. Okay. That's one of the other papers that we 
that I we see. should, yeah. I see. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that the pastoralists has have this very different lifestyle and cultural background. Did that made it hard for you or harder for the data collection process? It actually makes it difficult, but we've found a way to make it happen. So uh, in our team, we have, I don't speak Turkana, so we in our team, we have a person who does speak Turkana, who has grown up in that cultural setting. He He's an old guy, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. if, if in the, his 50s. So he's very in touch with that kind of lifestyle. He can do community sensitization, talk to the people. On top of that, we also do a lot of community engagement work where we work with chiefs in the area, village elders. So mm-hmm. before we even go to do any data collection, we kind of like do send a team like maybe one week before everybody to go do community sensitization, talk to the chiefs, make the mm-hmm. community aware because even the people there don't have a good understanding of research as you and me do. So for them to be able to do like informed consent, they have to be aware of what is going to happen. So we do a lot of community engagement to make the project work. And that has been one of the pillars of like what has made the project, what has led the project to become what it is right now, community engagement. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this process of engaging the community and educating the community might itself have an effect on the process of urbanization? Like more, maybe more people in Turkana will like find out about what is science and maybe they'll be interested in moving or something like that. Or do you think that the effects are very minimal? (laughs) That's a good question. Actually, that's an area open for research because we don't know what makes, makes people decide to move. Mm-hmm. and transition into the town actually there is so many people thinking about that so people are like trying to understand it from a psychology perspective like does maybe early childhood adversities mm-hmm. affect your decision to move because some people don't want to move actually you'll find some people who move to cities and like go back to the <laughs> rural right. place yeah so we don't actually understand what would maybe make somebody to move but like that's a very good question like <laughs> if we educate them more they they are gonna wanna come to town i don't know <laughs> yeah. how how did it work the data collection what did you do so what we do is we 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 have a huge team of 10 plus people we are usually like when we go to the remote place it's usually more than 10 people and then there's a questionnaire tent. So we have tents. We work in tents. You don't want to work in a tent in a place that is like 42 degrees, <laughs> 42 degrees Celsius. It's it's so hot. So we have a fun in my tent. I do when I was there. I used to work in the in the lab, mm-hmm. but it's a tent. So I'm just processing samples. So we have a phlebotomy tent where the the samples are collected, and then we have a questionnaire tent and a consent tent where the people working there speak the Trukana language. Mm-hmm. And then the consent form also is in Trukana. So after sensitization, somebody reads the consent form. There is a person to guide them through the consent form and explain everything. So part of the team is from the Trukana region. So they speak the language. 
some people do speak Swahili, which is like the common language in Kenya, but like not everybody speaks that language in mm-hmm. Turkana, especially if you have grown up in the rural place your entire life. But to solve that challenge, we just have people who already speak the language and that has made things smooth for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what were you doing in the lab? You mentioned that you were processing samples in the lab. What samples? So we do collect blood, urine, and stool for okay. microbiome analysis. Okay. Yeah. So I, I the for stool you can store it. So what we do mostly when we are in the remote places, process them for storage, mm-hmm. then bring them back to the main lab that is in Laikipia, Nanyuki. Okay. So we have a main lab there. So in the field we collect, uh, preserve, then go do further analysis in the lab when we get there because we cannot be able to be in the field for more than a week. It's Mm-hmm. not possible yeah. it's so per resource intensive we cannot carry that many reagents and beyond a week uh, at 42 degrees yeah. <laughs> celsius you just get me out of here please yeah yeah <laughs> i got it <laughs> yeah or do you remember some like fun facts or interesting things that happened during the data collection process okay i don't know if it equates like fun so turkana is a hot region as i've said So there's this one day that it decided, I mean, rain decided to show up in the middle of fieldwork. Mm-hmm. When we go there, we are never prepared for rain because it, it never happens. Mm-hmm. So on this one day, it decided to rain. And when we go there, when we want to set up, usually we look at the place with the most shade. And most of the trees grow around the dry riverbeds. Mm-hmm. So usually we station on the riverbed because it's cooler, it's under the trees. So on this day, it decided to rain. We are in the tents working, so there is one team on the other side of the of the dry riverbed. I don't want to call it a river because it, it, it became a river <laughs> within two hours. So we are just chilling, like not thinking anything is going to happen. But like one hour later, somebody yells, yo, the river is flowing like there's a flash flood or something and then oh, we no. have another team stuck on the other side of the river but they are not aware because they are in the tent they've zipped mm-hmm. themselves up so that water doesn't get into the tent so that they can finish processing the samples because on that day was a good day like so many people showed up so when mm-hmm. people show up we try to capitalize mm-hmm. and get as many participants as we can so they were working late into the night so it was kind of like at 7 7:30 p.m. Oh, wow. And we had to go rescue them on the other side of the riverbed. So the water was kind of like waist high for me and I'm a tall guy. So it was a dangerous oh thing that I did. I don't know. I'm saying it as a fun fact, but like <laughs> somebody else might interpret it as something dangerous. But yeah. Well, looking back, if everyone was okay, <laughs> I think we can okay. call it fun. <laughs> the adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, the adrenaline. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to the results that you found. I was reading an article from New York Times that is not like super related, but it was saying that even in the U.S., um, the highest socioeconomic status black women had higher infant mortality than lower socioeconomic status white women. And they mentioned that's related to the way that these women are handled and taken seriously in medical settings. So, for example, they said that 
Serena Williams, she had a pulmonary embolism after her pregnancy and the nurses were kind of like dismissing her. Okay. So do you think that in Kenya there's also some sort of structural issues that might be in play with things that you found about health? Because you also studied reproductive success, right? In the in your paper? Yeah. Do you think that there are uh, the way that people interact with the doctors might also influence? Um, that is hard to say in Kenya, but I don't think there's a, there's a way that people would interact with different patients in a different way. Maybe that's a thing that happens in America more or less, because in Kenya, like, uh, access, everybody has access. Mm -hmm. Unless you are in a lower socioeconomic status, and your limiting factor will be access or like transport and transport, mm -hmm. getting access to the hospital. But like if you're there, everybody is treated the same. Mm -hmm. But say if you are in a lower socioeconomic status, that means you cannot afford maybe a, a better hospital. So you are going to maybe go to the government one. They have better health status, even if they have this sort of potential access issues. In the urban places, not as much. They have poorer health outcomes, low, lower, oh, okay. lesser number of kids. But still, it's the it comes down to being able to afford. Because when you are living in a town, you cannot afford to have so many kids. Because then mm -hmm. you cannot afford f to feed them, to take them to school. But like in the other place, like in the rural place, you have enough kettle. Mm -hmm. You can sell another one if you wanted to. You can be able to afford anything. And then about health, access to health, we are not sure why they have better uh, better health, self-reported health, because they don't have mm -hmm. access to any modern medical care that than we do. So, yeah, we still don't know why they would have better health. So just to clarify, I thought that earlier you mentioned that in the urban area, high socioeconomic status had poor, had worse health. Yeah. But this is not the case for reproductive success. So higher economic status have more reproductive success. They okay. have fewer kids and, I mean, their kids grow up. So they have fewer kids, but the kids that are born are more likely to survive. Like they the are more first likely year. to survive, yeah. I see. But still, like a fewer number of kids compared to somebody who is in a higher socioeconomic status in in their remote places, in rural places, they have more kids, and still their kids survive. They have higher chances to get to adulthood. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is there any other finding that uh, you think about this paper or about the project that you want to mention that we haven't talked about yet that you think is very important in your opinion? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe so we, we have a paper in press right now it's gonna come out very soon which is kind of like a groundbreaking finding but kind of like expected mm -hmm. but we were able to show it so as i said trukana is a very hot region limited water availability so we sequenced the genomes of i think a thousand a thousand people and we did this analysis to look for genes that might have might show signatures of selection. And what we found was there is actually a gene related to kidney function 
it's called the STC1 gene and it's usually expressed when expressed more it has something to do with dehydration mm-hmm. so that's kind of like a very cool finding yeah. showing that the turkana are more able to concentrate urine better than other people in other words meaning they reabsorb so much water their kidneys are so healthy they reabsorb so much water because oh, you are already growing up in a place where water is not available so that's such one of the coolest finding i would say yeah. <laughs> about the about the project so that paper is suppose it's already in press right now it's gonna be and you're one of the authors i am one of the oh, authors congrats. in the paper that's yeah it's gonna be fun yeah what are the next projects you're working on so the next one that i'm working on is so i work with metabolomics i don't know mm-hmm. if you know metabolomics i have an idea but maybe our listeners don't so maybe you can explain a little so it's another omics technology kind of like Which genomics means? proteomics so it's where you uh, survey a bunch of metabolites like very many so if i said glucose glucose is only one metabolite Mm-hmm. So there is a nurse everybody is familiar with like you can go have a glucose test. Mm-hmm. So metabolomics is a technology or a technique where you measure like thousands of metabolites at the same time in your body and then we have machines that do that. So that kind of like helps you estimate or predict the state of a person. It can be used for diagnosis. It can tell me how your how healthy your liver is. Mm-hmm. how healthy your kidney is all at once like it's just one test to mm-hmm. do all of that so i'm capitalizing on metabolomics to try and disentangle like some of the environmental factors that may be lead to the non-communicable diseases mm-hmm. so that's what all my phd is about Oh, that's exciting. I don't have any data yet or like some cool findings, but so far I know people in rural places are healthier than people in mm-hmm. urban places. That's all I can say for now. It's a cliche. Everybody knows, <laughs> <laughs> knows that. But we don't kind of like, the data is fragmented being in regards of like, we don't know which part of the environment will lead to non-communicable diseases because we mm-hmm. have people eating what others would say is an unhealthy diet or like a high calorie diet but or they are fine more like processed food but you find they are fine and then some other people eating like what people in Turkana eat like the rural places it's a very high protein diet like mm-hmm. raw milk actually people oh, drink wow. raw milk the water is not very clean but you find they are healthy Mm-hmm. which which is weird in itself because if i went on like a turkana rural diet i don't know i wouldn't survive for a month <laughs> but it's working for them so it's fragmented in that we don't fully understand which environmental variable like what's the tipping point for somebody to mm-hmm. kind of like get an uncommunicable disease so that is what my research is about nice yeah so as a last question then how do you think that this findings like from the paper we discussed or the new papers that you're working on could be applied to health interventions and policy interventions in this transitioning populations from rural to urban areas that is a very very good question so i, I don't know if i mentioned this i i, don't, I haven't mentioned so the 
the hypothesis that we are using to maybe explain why we have these different outcomes in non-communicable diseases is evolutionary mismatch. Evolutionary mismatch is basically a hypothesis that says if there is a discrepancy between the phenotype or you are, how you are built right now with what your ancestors used to do, there is bound to be some kind of like outcome because you are mismatched. So say your parents were like farmers, high activity lifestyle, and then you transition maybe to this other kind of lifestyle that is sedentary, then that's not good for you because you that's evolutionary mismatch. I see. So we evolved to behave in and in live in a certain environment, but then all of a sudden you change to a very different environment. Yeah, there's actually these other, under, still under the, the umbrella of evolutionary mismatch, there's something that we are so-called the drift gene hypothesis, where mm-hmm. if you grow up in a resource-limited kind of like environment, every food or every nutrient that you take into your body, your body is actually going to become so good at absorbing mm-hmm. as much as it can. So it will make the best of like the limited amount of food. So say now you've evolutionarily been such kind of an environment and then you have moved into like a resource-rich environment, your body is still just as good as it was in absorbing as much food as it can take. But now you're mismatched because now there is more nutrients and maybe that is that will lead maybe to, I don't know, obesity, hypertension, because maybe your body is not in like its evol- uh, environment of evolutionary adaptation. Mm-hmm. So, so in regards to policy, if we understand maybe the evolutionary histories of people going through these transitions, maybe it would be easier for maybe governments to put in place like maybe food regulation or like how I had this idea where there were, I think it's in Nairobi, Kenya, where they wanted to have the bus stops more outside of town so that people can actually walk. <laughs> to, <laughs> to work. I don't know if that's kind of like a practical way that you can use this kind of information mm-hmm. so that it helps people. I mean, it's for the benefit of the people. We care about their health, <laughs> but I don't know if that answers your question. But yeah, yeah, no, I think it makes sense. So like, for example, making sure that uh, food that is similar to what they had before is available. Yeah. That sort of thing. You, yeah. It's even easier to advise people because if you've historically grown up in a high protein diet, if you switch to one that doesn't, maybe that's not good for you. I don't have any data to back that mm-hmm. up, but yeah, that kind of that kind of thinking can help so much to be able to to do away with these kinds of diseases like in a policy mm-hmm. kind of like mindset, yeah. The bus thing is kind of sketchy though. <laughs> the? The bus idea the bus. is kind of weird. <laughs> you don't buy that. Uh, I don't know. They could like maybe try to convince people to go on, on a walk or something, like have more parks. I don't know. Forcing people to walk seems <laughs> weird. But yeah, sure. If it works, it works. Exactly. If it works, it works. I mean, I'm, I'm for it. I, I love walking myself. So yeah. if we had a bus stop like more outside town and then I had to walk, I wouldn't complain but. People in Kenya complain. They were like, no, I need to be dropped outside my door. <laughs> I would complain <laughs> as well. 
okay i think that's it then uh thank you very much for uh being here that was a really really fun talk and your research is really cool and i'm excited to eventually learn more about your metabolomics approach i'll keep you posted when i publish my paper nice. and thank you again for inviting me it was fun yeah thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> this episode of bq was hosted by tiago tarafverella sound engineered by me and produced under the 147th Managing Board of the Prince. To learn more about Benjamin's research, visit the Insights article linked in the description below. From the Prince, my name is Sena Eltabash. Have a great rest of your day.